You need a few minutes to process that. Actual comments from young people in our classes here in Hamilton County in their own handwriting. Those are their stories. Those are the thoughts that they had to say thank you. Some of you old-timers may remember when my daughter, Rebecca, started graduate school in Italy. Uh, the year was 2004. Rebecca graduated from college a few months before, and she studied for two years at the Florence Academy of Fine Arts. Uh, and uh, there she met, you know, I told her, when you go over there, don't meet anybody named Guido or Vinny. But she met, I, sh I should have been more specific, she met Steve. And today, uh, she and Steve run an art school in New York, and they sculpt the lives of a five-year-old and a two-year-old named Elijah and Evie. Uh, but when she first started school in Italy, she, she was uncertain about how to begin the conversation about her faith. Uh, to explain her faith in Jesus Christ, much less share the gospel with any of her classmates. And then in class one day, um, and I, t I told you about this when it happened in 2004, in, in class one day, a drawing professor asked the question, where is your truth? And what, he, what it, he meant was he wanted each student to point out their truth on the canvas. And their truth was the one line, whether it was straight or curved, didn't matter, the one line from which everything else flowed in relation to which every other line received its perspective, its contours, its alignment. And it took days and days to get their truth right. But if that was right, then everything else flowed from their truth. And Rebecca called us. She was excited. She said, now I know how to make the connection. Jesus made a statement about truth, didn't he? And so I'm going to ask you Christians, where is your truth? Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. That was a statement in the high priestly prayer where God the Son was speaking to God the Father about God's speaking. It's an astonishing prayer, and it's an astonishing statement. We live in a culture that no longer values truth. Not only just do we always hear what's true for me, but we've traded our shared worldview based on absolute truth for, for postmodern tribal worldviews. Uh, almost to the point where we can no longer talk to people who disagree with us. Uh, we, what we hear in the culture is, this is my identity as a black man. That's my identity as an LGBTQ person. This is my identity as a feminist. This is my identity as a Republican. That's my identity as a Democrat. This is my identity as a, a tennis ball who self-identifies as a salt shaker on Tuesdays. You know, it, it, my identity becomes the self-created lens through which I view the world and decide what's true for me. And sometimes it's kind of funny. Sometimes it's very tragic. Because a culture that no longer values truth is a culture that's wheezing on its deathbed. 
This is not just me being a curmudgeon, although I'm good at that. Uh, grousing about cultural changes. This is new. To deny logic and truth, eventually communication evaporates and then everything implodes. This is what God did at the Tower of Babel. If you think about it, because there was no shared language, there was no communication. Because there was no communication, there was, there was no shared culture. And because there was no shared culture, it shredded and decomposed. And I know I'm straight, scraping the stratosphere here. I, I, I know that. But on news programs, which I watch from time to time, People are talking over each other, and it just feels like no one is communicating except those who inhabit the same bubble. Every year that passes, we have less and less of a shared culture. And I want to contrast that with a snapshot of how far we've gone down that road from 1940. George Will wrote a piece uh, 14 years ago, and I'm going to quote some of it. Here's what he wrote. In 1940, a British officer on Dunkirk Beach sent London a three-word message. But if not. It was instantly recognized as from the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 18. Recognized from the book of Daniel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are commanded to worship a golden image or perish, they defiantly reply, Our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. And Will writes, Britain then still had the cohesion of a common culture of shared reading. That cohesion enabled Britain to stay the hand of Hitler. Well, George Will's point is about reading and cultural literacy. I would go further and argue that the one thing that provides cohesion and unity is God's truth. God's truth in Scripture. Not just within a culture, but across cultures, across continents, across centuries. I'm going to expand in, in the next seven minutes. Maybe I'm not going to expand. I think I'm going to condense in the next seven minutes <laughs> um, a devotional that I gave to our Bible history teachers in their in-service uh, in January. Uh, our attention, uh, what I want, I want you to do is to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, the passage that John read from. And I want you to realize that Although 2 Timothy was written to Timothy, it concludes in chapter 4, verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Your is a Greek pronoun, possessive pronoun that is singular. He's talking to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. And then he says, grace be with you, plural. And that's the way 1 Timothy ends. And that's the way Philemon ends. And that's the way Titus ends. It's for Timothy. It's for Philemon. It's for uh, uh, for um, uh, Titus, but it's to, I mean, it's to them, but it's for all of us. What the Holy Spirit wants Timothy to know, he wants us to know as well. And, and furthermore, this is Paul's last will and testament. He's about to die, and he knows he's about to die. I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith. And when someone is about to die, 
and he knows he's about to die, his last words are not about unimportant things. They're not, you know, Timothy, don't forget to pick up the laundry. That's not what he's talking about. What does he talk about? Well, here, he talks about the Word of God and its impact in Timothy's life. Jesus' last will and testament was the upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, and it was all about two resources for Christian growth. One, the Holy Spirit. Two, the Word of God. And in fact, he, the capstone of that is when Jesus says to the Father in the high priestly prayer, sanctify them by the truth, thy word is truth. That's Jesus' last will and testament. Peter's last will and testament in 2 Peter, where he said he too was about to die, contains more about the word of God than 1 Peter and all of his speeches in the Gospels and in Acts. The book of Hebrews is all one big study in the word of God, and it begins with these words, God has spoken. It's in Hebrews that we read about how the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And here in 2 Timothy, Paul's last will and testament, there's more about the word of God than in all of his other epistles. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, absorb God's word into your life. Look with me at verses 10 and following. I'm sorry, verses 13 and following. And I know we're jumping in the middle of a context, but here's what he says to Timothy. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however... Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then there are the familiar verses that we've all heard. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then he goes, goes on and exhorts Timothy, preach the word. Now, as you look at this passage, just very briefly, what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's contrasting for Timothy what false teachers have said and done who, whose, whose lies are permeating the culture that Timothy is inhabiting, and Timothy has to counteract that. And there are also lots of challenges for Timothy that he has to, to face morally. So what Paul is saying is there are going to be two deterrents in your life for apostasy and for blowing it morally. And those two deterrents, uh, those two deterrents are the Word of God and the lives of those from whom you learned the Word of God. Look back up with me at verse 13. Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. So he's become convinced of that which is absolutely true. He says, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And when he says, knowing from whom you learned them, and then talks about those writings, the word of God, which is inspired, and he also says in verse 15, from childhood you have known the sacred writings, there are some things that call for our attention here. When he's saying, from whom you learned them, who is he talking about? He's talking about his mother. He's talking about his grandmother. And he's talking about Paul himself. See, Timothy 
was not a kid raised with a lot of advantages. Timothy was raised in a single parent home. His mother and grandmother raised him. He was raised as a racially mixed child in a single parent home, half Jew, half Gentile. So think about that, racially mixed, single parent. He was raised as a racially mixed kid in a single parent home when he had a timid disposition. Not a forceful guy, not a charismatic leader. It's to Timothy that Paul writes, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed. That's in chapter 1, verse 7. And then in verse 12, for this reason, I suffer these things. I'm not ashamed. Okay. And in verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me and he was not ashamed. So don't you be ashamed. In fact, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. So Timothy was raised in a single parent home. He was a biracial kid raised in a single parent home, raised by his mother and his grandmother. And he had a timid disposition. You can also see this because Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he tells the church at Corinth, when Titus was with you, you did well to fear him. But he writes to the same church at Corinth about Timothy. When Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Don't you scare him. There's a difference between Titus and Timothy. So he's raised as a single as a biracial kid in a single parent home with a timid disposition. Okay? A timid disposition. Uh, and he was also very sickly. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent ailments. Timothy was the kid who would throw up on the bus. So not just your ailments, your frequent ailments. So he had a queasy stomach and he was chronically ill. So he's a single parent, home, biracial, timid disposition. So how is this kid going to have any impact? Well, you could read through the New Testament to see the impact of Timothy in the lives of the church. In fact, you'll be discussing what I didn't get to in your growth groups when, we, when you, uh, we, we look at the impact of this man. What's, what's significant to me is Paul says to Timothy, look, you remember from whom you learn these truths, your mother, your grandmother, and me, and that you have learned the sacred writings. And he uses the Greek word here, grammata. We get our word grammar from it. It's the word for letters. It's the same word in Galatians 6, 11. You see with what large letters I write these words. So, and he says that from, a, from childhood, and, and that word indicates, that it's the same word that's used of John the Baptist leaping in, in Jesus' womb. It's, it's a word that indicates this. From Timothy's earliest conscious memory, probably from learning to read from the Bible, his earliest conscious memory, God's word, was being ingrained into his teaching, his heart, his soul, becoming a part of who he was. So you look 
at the lives of your mother, your grandmother, and my life. You look at the Word of God which has been built into your life from your earliest conscious memory. And at some point, Timothy came to realize that the things that cause eternal impact are not the things that hinder him at all from having that impact. Didn't matter if he was a bright racial kid from a single parent home. Didn't matter uh, if he had a timid disposition. Didn't matter if he had a sickly constitution. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. God used that young man to serve the Apostle Paul alongside him for a couple of decades. God worked in the life of that young man so that he was the liaison to the church at Corinth. He was on this missionary journey. He was on that missionary journey. He was leading this church. He was leading that church. He was with Paul in prison. He was with Paul on his way to Rome in the shipwreck. He was with Paul... Um, throughout all of the travels, except for times when Paul would send him as an emissary to do this work or that work. It was astonishing what this young man accomplished, what God accomplished through this young man. And what strikes me is that, humanly speaking, Timothy had so little going for him, but he knew God's word, and he knew the integrity of the lives of those who taught him God's word. And he watched Paul not only... Now, by the way, did Paul have a lot of success in life? Did he have credentials? Yes. But he watched Paul fail. He watched Paul fail repeatedly. He watched him in good times. He watched him in bad times. And he knew that when Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong, that that was real. Timothy learned that God does not depend on our natural giftedness to bring about eternal impact. Let me repeat that. Timothy learned that God does not depend upon our natural giftedness to bring about eternal impact. And in our public school classrooms, there are hundreds of kids who have backgrounds like Timothy, kids with racial scars, broken homes, single-parent homes, physical problems, nothing going on socially. But the only person speaking God's truth into their lives is their Bible history teacher. Or a youth pastor. Or an aunt. Or a granddad. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to close with a story that I told the Bible history teachers at the end service a few weeks ago. My mentor was my father, Bill Phillips. My dad did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, it was a church going home, but granddad, who outlived three of his four wives, um, just didn't talk about the Lord. At age nine, dad was taken out of his public school classroom to be told by the principal that his mother had just died. It was not an easy life. Uh, he went to work at age 11. He was one of six children. Only three survived infancy, because things were different in those days. But he became a sweet, loving man because of the word of God. He had a wonderful marriage with my mom. He had me and my sister. I'm the only one left. In his 60s, he lost his business. He lost his retirement. His beloved church split. My sister's family imploded. Mom died, and dad had severe physical problems. Some of you remember him coming in here 
with the walker. He couldn't see you. He was bent over. He would look up to see you. Remember that? When he was alive, some of you may remember that. I never heard dad talk about any impact that church had on his early life. But uh, he did talk about something else. He talked about his Bible in the school's teacher. The public Bible school committee started in 1922. Dad was taught at elementary school in 1927 on. His Bible history teachers were the people in his life in his formative years that spoke truth. And almost 80 years after that, okay, just, I know the hour's late, but just hear me. Almost 80 years after that, when he was near the end of his life and his memory was fading, he would talk about two clusters of memories that he would bring up and, and he and I would talk about them. The first cluster, this old soldier would talk about memories of World War II in those times. And then he would talk about memories of his Bible history class. Now, I want you to think about the equivalency there. World War II, Bible history class. That's called, 80 years later, impact. <laughs> Eternal impact in my life. And when I was invited to be a member of the Bible, schools, Bible and Schools board in 2005, he was ecstatic. That was a good day. Your eternal impact, whether you are a Paul, very gifted, everything going for you, or whether you are a Timothy with nothing going for you, does not depend upon your natural giftedness, but upon your yieldedness. I want to close with this thought. In whose life can you have eternal impact? There are people who come into the orbit of your life all the time. In whose life can you have eternal impact to speak God's truth? Your children, your grandchildren, certainly. Co-workers, whomever. You also have an opportunity to do this with Bible history teachers by being engaged in that ministry. Never take the privilege of placing God's word and the teachers of God's word in the public school setting, never take that for granted. And never take for granted the privilege that you have of having God's word, opening it up, reading it, and having Jesus work through your heart as the Holy Spirit teaches you and sanctifies you through his truth, because his word is truth. Lord, we thank you for this meditation, this time to be together and to reflect on what you've done. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon this ministry. I pray, Father, that you would um, maybe prick some hearts, some minds, to think not only about the ministry, but about ways in which every person here can be used, no matter our giftedness or lack of giftedness, for eternal impact. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.